Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Belinda Kirk is the leading voice promoting the benefits of adventure on well-being and author of the best-selling award-nominated book, Adventure Revolution, The Life-Changing Power of Choosing Challenge. She also hosts Adventure Mind, a groundbreaking conference series that explores the link between adventure, well-being and mental health. Belinda has run Explorers Connect, a non-profit organisation connecting people to adventures for 15 years, encouraging over 30,000 ordinary people to engage in outdoor challenges. An explorer in her own right, Belinda has walked across Nicaragua, searched for camels in China's desert of death, discovered ancient rock paintings in Lesotho, pioneered inclusive expeditions for people with disabilities, led dozens of youth development expeditions around the world and gained a Guinness World Record for rowing unsupported around Britain. Belinda has managed remote trips for, amongst others, Bear Grylls, Ray Mears and Chris Ryan and is a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and British Exploring Society. She is also an ambassador for the Youth Adventure Trust. Welcome to the podcast, Belinda. Hi Jen, thanks uh, Thanks for having me here today. Oh you're welcome and I was quite reassured that when I first messaged you to ask if you would come on, you were like, well, I can, but not for months because I'm off to Canada or something like that. And so did you have a nice trip? It was it was amazing. Yeah. Um, We went to do a mini birding expedition. My partner paints birds for a living, um, the feathered variety. (laughs) And uh, he's a proper super twitcher. So we went to Canada to look for birds. So we were... um, we found a hundred new species, or a hundred species new to him, which, as a super twitcher for the whole of his life, is a lot of new birds for him. He's never been anywhere and found a hundred new species, so that was exciting. And obviously, we took our son, and it was also about having a family adventure and talking, yeah, showing him a bit of the world. It was, it was good. It sounds amazing, and. Yes, I was just saying before that I feel like on this podcast, I've had lots of guests and maybe myself as well. We've all agreed that doing challenges outside helps us build resilience and and helps us in many ways. But it was always just a feeling. And I felt like until I read your book, Adventure Revolution, I hadn't got the science to back it all up and go, yeah, actually, there's something in this. So yes, thank you for the book. And hopefully for educating us all on why why it happens why we get these changes from our adventures well that that's why I wrote the book really because um choosing challenges in nature you know adventures is great for resilience but it's also great for a whole load of other things um as far as our mental health and well-being is concerned and I think I'd, I'd witnessed these these wonderful gifts from adventure for you know decades of leading groups into the wilderness but I I couldn't really put into words why it was so good for people and curiosity that led me to research huge amounts of psychology and evolutionary psychology and positive psychology and also 
adventure education, outdoor education, tourism research. There's, <clears throat> there's just so much, there was so much research out there, but it was all in different places and it hadn't, it, I kind of pulled it into one place and found theories and created theories as well around why I think venture is such a good fit for us, um, why it's so good for our resilience. Um, I mean, essentially, because we're we're born to adventure. That's we're hunter gatherers, essentially. I mean, yeah, that's I think the underlying why it's so good. Um, but yeah, I really was curious as to how it was how it was all working, and so I wrote the book because I wanted to. I'd done so much work by that point, and I kind of wanted to explain, you know, and share that first go at championing adventure in that way redefining what adventure really is uh and how good it is for us and so I really wanted this book 20 years ago but it wasn't it didn't exist so I wrote it myself two <laughs> years ago <laughs> and uh yeah well thank you because I think you make it really really accessible and <clears throat> and also it does have those quite well huge topics in that you seem to distill into really easy to read paragraphs and I guess that comes back to what you were just saying in terms of I'm thinking how our world has developed but our brains haven't changed from that hunter-gatherer and it just felt like we're we can be out of place in the modern world. I think it's also why we've got so many uh, it, it's the reason we've got so much uh, so many diseases of civilization there is the phrase that I've heard you know, these physical problems that we have um, as well are because we're not we're not living like hunter-gatherers. Our bodies are designed to move, to eat certain foods, to be outside, to to squat on the floor and or, or rather than sit in chairs. I mean, there's so many elements um, of our lives that are, yeah, the modern world is is great in so many ways and is also a really bad fit for our minds and bodies um, as well. So there's a great there's a great line of thought that the most likely explanation is probably the right is probably the answer, you know. And uh, I just think, as a as a lapsed scientist, as a biologist many years ago, um, it it just it all just makes sense to me. And also because I've worked with all these tribes as well, it just you know, we've lost something um, as well as gaining a lot like medicine and, you know, really important things. We have lost um, something by not adventuring. Life used to be an adventure and it's nice to be safe and secure and to have electricity and keep warm and have medicine and all of those things. But what we've lost and what we need to, I think, add in in a more chosen way is choosing these challenges mm. um, and, and what is it sorry this is the lawyer in me let's define the terms um so what is it that you class as an adventure um how would you define that i i define it very simply as a chosen challenge because it's 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 um when you when we're in the context of well-being um the idea of choosing a challenge in order to build in order to build you know self self development and growth uh, more there are some much more technical terms for uh or, or around 
um, adventure. And I did look at lots of things, lots of scientific ways. It's a really hard concept. <laughs> well, hang on, we've only just started because I'm going to move on to resilience next. But yeah, you carry on <laughs> wrestling with yeah, yeah. adventure. Oh, that's easier. That's oh, okay. easier. Oh, good. <laughs> Res- resilience is actually easier. But um, the way that to be a bit more defined I would also say that the elements of choosing a challenge is that a you've got the challenge so you've got that element of challenge but you've also you you have the challenge you have the element of adversity and also of uncertainty because you're basically stepping into the unknown you're choosing to go into the unknown you're choosing especially as you become a as you've done a little bit more adventuring and a seasoned adventure you're you're choosing adversity as well. You know you're going to get cold, wet, hungry, tired. Some something of, of that nature will be part of your challenge, but you're choosing it anyway. So you're choosing adversity, uncertainty, um, you know, going into the unknown, and also you're choosing um, challenge. And and as you, be, uh, that's the great thing about adventuring. I think you you know that by choosing those things. And leaning into challenge, you are, it's not going to be easy, but you know that the, the benefits are worth a bit of discomfort along the way, a bit of difficulty. Yes. Yeah, so that's how I would define adventure. Uh, and just, chosen challenge in nature. Yeah. I, I like that one. But then also, like, if there's somebody listening and they're thinking, well, that's great, but I've got two kids, a dog, a mortgage, and I can't take a year off to go and cross Nicaragua, something like that. Like, how, how wide is this definition of what an adventure can be? Oh, that's such a good question. I'm glad you've asked. Um, <laughs> because, yes. The big problem with adventure, I think, is a lot of people think, oh, that's scary and too much. I can't do that. But actually, I think we've been, the word adventure, the idea of adventure has been somehow um, misaligned in our heads over the years. And we think of men with beards on the poles and on tops of Everest and stuff. That is adventure as well. But also, if you're the mum with the two kids and the dog, it's also taking them camping in your garden. It's taking them geocaching. It's um, introducing one of them maybe to parkour. It's um, going wild swimming in the river. It's anything that's about doing something that's challenging for them or for you, but choosing it together, engaging in it, um, knowing that it's going to be tough. It's not just an easy option, but because there's a little element of grit of tough of difficult that you will feel you will get these wonderful gifts whether amazing feelings of achievement and confidence and resilience and and so on and so forth adventure I think has to be rebranded and we have to reclaim it as something that is around you know our own level we're all we've all got our own levels of adventure and also our levels of adventure change from day to day to month to month and who we're with and what the weather's doing whatever so there's no one adventure more important than another and I think you know part of the problem with modern society is we put we put people on pedestals a bit too easily it yes it can be inspiring but it can also be intimidating in the adventure world we somehow have gone too far I think and although there are some wonderful adventurers out there who are very inspiring there are also there's this history of it becoming too elite and almost too 
exclusive and too scary and intimidating and, and actually you know lots of people said oh I couldn't climb a mountain but actually yes you can you know you've got you've got um the three peaks you've got um you know your local hill they're all you know it doesn't ha- a mountain you can define in your own way um so I think yeah we have to we have to rebrand adventure basically yeah, I think that's a really good point because I definitely feel sometimes that particularly since my knee replacements and maybe I'm not doing the the challenges that I used to be able to do, I it's not really worth sharing my little bivy out a few miles from home or something because I'm not breaking any records. I haven't got anywhere particularly that exciting for me because it's somewhere where I live and yes I've, I think I, I suffer a lot with comparing what I'm doing to others and then somehow takes away that actually it wasn't much of an adventure but you're saying that we can we can rebrand that. I think we have a massive problem in society about this compare contrast thing that we do and we all do it's, it's human nature so we all do it it's just that unfortunately we've got tv and social media and we, we are bombarded. We're not just surrounded by the people in our community and, and our compare contrast is, is easier to deal with because we also know that they're having a hard time. It's not just them having wonderful expeditions and whatever. They're also having a hard time with something else. Um, we don't have a realistic view of the people we're comparing ourselves to. And that is, it's a real big problem, you know, and it's tied to this whole, um, oh, anyway, I'm going to get my soapbox about what's so bad about um uh why we're all suffering so much from mental health problems i think um because yeah it, it's a it's a problem nowadays but yeah we all do it i do that as well and i i don't use social media a whole lot and that's why because i have to remember it's very easy to tell yourself stop stop you know look at them they're doing something amazing or whatever and Yes. And actually, I've come out of some of the adventure groups because like, for example, I think Adventure Queens, because it was I thought it was just going to be a nice friendly. Well, it is a nice friendly group, but I I thought it was going to be inspiring me to get out. But actually, I just found that um, it was people like I'm off to Peru for six months and what insurance should I get? And I'm like, this is making me feel worse about my life. So I've um, stepped away from some of those groups. I think I think these groups are brilliant, but yeah, everything you've got to remember the lens because probably it's very easy to show that you're having a good time because you're almost trying to convince yourself as well. So they can be, it can sometimes be because they need reassurance, and that's why there are there anyway. Um, but the main thing is we we're talking about your bivy <laughs> down the road and and how awesome it was. The thing is, what what actually counts. Because all the stuff externally doesn't count. What actually counts is how you felt when you wake up. Or it's how you felt when you were telling your friends and family about it. It's it's how you felt about it that actually matters. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what you got out of it. And um yeah. And so keep bivying out. <laughs> it sounds, I will. It but then what I was wondering when I was um, in your book, you have some prompts about, um, well, they were just in part of the conversation, like I can't remember the exact words you were using, but it was kind of think back to, is it like some me- childhood memory or something where you felt really a really positive one? And obviously it was... I was thinking outside like a lot of people. But when I think to those moments where I feel really at peace and just 
happy with the world. It's like when I'm bivying and I don't really have any luxuries. <laughs> Maybe a pillow is when I, my luxury when I'm bivying. And I'm just thinking about these adventures and how much we get. But there are often times where we have probably the least amount of possessions with us at any point in our life. And I just wondered if that's a coincidence or if there's something in that of stripping away all these, this clutter that no, I'm lo- I, looking around the house. I think, there's lots, <laughs> I think there's lots in that. I think there's a, the mindfulness of not having all that stuff. There's the simplicity um, because you can just be in the moment. And also it's that competence, you know, you you can survive with very little and actually you can do better than survive. You can have a nice time um, because you have skills. So I think there's a lot around that. You know, it's a lot of the compare and contrast and that part of our society is all very closely linked to this whole buy stuff. Buy stuff because that's your value. Um, you know, look at me, I've got a new whatever. Because you feel that that, not you or me, or all yeah. of us as a society, it's like, this is my value. I've got a posh car or a a posh new rab, you know, beautiful new raincoat or something. Um, it's not really about the raincoat or the car, but we have been marketed to for so long that we think it is. Um, so I think there's a great, there's a wonderful thing about going outside with with minimal kit and and even if and even better if it breaks or something and then you have to figure out how to do something without that bit of kit that you really thought you needed um and you find out that you have skills and that you are competent and that you are you know and that builds resilient is part of the building resilience you know there's a lot of theories around how resilience is built and competence is one of them so and also mindfulness you know is very closely aligned with that so um I think going with minimal kit and and surviving, surviving something that's a bit difficult. Mm, um, so tell me. It's all builds competence and confidence. And resilience. So well done for getting me back on track at my own podcast about resilience because I'd gone off on a tangent. But yeah, so narrowing down to resilience, what does that mean for you? And and then we can get on to how we, how we foster it. So... Um, Resilience is of well, you'll know this, but resilio is the Latin word bounce back or spring back, and so to to be resilient is to be able to to bounce back. Uh, yeah, that essentially is um, that's the there's a lot different people will define it in different ways, but it always comes back, you know, with maybe more words. But it's basically about being able to spring back, and so I think adventure is chosen challenges are particularly good at that because when you choose to go and challenge yourself you are in a way stretching those muscles but on in some ways on your own terms you know there will always be that unknown that uncertainty there will always be something that will surprise you and make it harder or whatever or something that will make it different to what you expect because that's the whole point you're stepping into a certain unknown but you are choosing to go and test yourself. And I think when you do that and you've chosen to do that, you you teaching yourself that you can bounce back. You're teaching yourself that that you can withstand things and you can build resilience. It's a bit like taking a surfing lesson and when you first get up on a when you first try to catch a wave 
you miss it. When you first try and stand up, you fall off, but you get up again. And that's the key. You get up again and you try again. And then eventually you get all the positive emotions of actually achieving it when you catch your first wave. I mean, it's can't. catching a wave is always awesome. Um, but you have to fall off a lot to catch it and to get the buzz. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I, we can go into lots more detail, but in, in the simplest form, stretching those muscles, um, that's why adventure is so good. You, you're able to test your, you know, you're able to test yourself. And that falling off the surfboard or whatever else it is, I suppose my barriers don't necessarily come from thinking I'm not capable of things. It was more that fear of failure and fear of not being good at something, which sounds ridiculous when you're talking about surfing lessons, because obviously you go to to just have a good time and muster it if you want to. How, what is our attitude to failure I think that's, like? <laughs> and how do I improve mine? I think that's key though. I think that's the key, though, isn't it? Because if you allow yourself to fail in one area and you you stretch your failure muscles, you can go, okay, well, I kept falling off that surfboard. But actually, eventually, I didn't get right standing up, but maybe I got up on my knees. <laughs> I got somewhere. And even, actually, or even maybe you didn't, but you tried. <laughs> it was okay. And you want to go back again because it was actually a laugh and you want to keep trying. And if you allow yourself to fail in one area, it's easier to transfer that skill across rather than to manifest it from nowhere. But it is still a transfer. You still have to take that. It's funny. I was, I talk, I talk at schools, and I think, you know, a lot of young people have this. And I'm talking generalizations, but I think this is a, a fair generalization. There's a lot of young people in the country that have a fear of failure i i can identify with it because i had it at school in a in in buckets and you might be able to fail in one area and see the and and enjoy the, and and understand that but you have to then transfer it to your academic area for example because there's so much pressure on exams for example um um you know if you don't get a if you don't get a pass or, or or a top mark or whatever in your GCSEs or A-levels, then you can't do this, this and this, and you'll be a failure for the rest of your life. That was the sort of narrative in my head. And so there is this transfer um, that's needed. But at least if you're, if you're building those ideas elsewhere, you can, and those coping mechanisms, you can move them across. Um, I don't know if I've got off this topic actually no it's really reassuring that you're saying that if we can just fail in other areas it can transfer so that we're less afraid of failing at at other areas that maybe we deem more important yeah and there's there's really interesting research in this area at the moment the whole idea of transfer and you know it's 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 research i'm i'm keen to i'm looking at and and i'm keen to there's some research coming out soon from um, some uh, some researchers who came to my conference last year, and um, I'm waiting for their reports to come out because, especially, it's especially about transferring skills learnt on adventure into every day, and I think that's that's something. I mean, it's something that's particularly interesting to me. Yeah, um, it is to me, and it's something but, yeah. that I've asked before. It's for other guests and probably myself. Is that well, we choose to do whatever these adventures and. 
there isn't always you know, sometimes they're in quite safe environments in the in terms of risk but is that something that we can then transfer into difficult times that we haven't chosen it sounds like this is what this research is looking at yes i think the idea is i mean the idea for me is that you you choose adventures and you go on these challenges because you bring back lots and lots of gifts confidence resilience relationship building all sorts of things and then you bring them to the rest of your life because it's it's not just experiencing the adventure it's 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 what happens afterwards that is actually the key and it's only recently that in the last year or two that I've been thinking well yeah I can see those I have personally witnessed those transformations but I've also witnessed those transformations and then seen them have long-term impact on people's lives but I've also seen them not and I've often wondered, why is that? And I think that's for a, a, a number of reasons, because you can come back from an adventure and, and if you're you're a changed person, but if you're the, you're now a, a square peg, you're coming back to a round hole. I think it's really interesting why, because I've taken so many people on so many adventures and I've seen such benefits to so many, but I've also seen some of it being only short-lived and I've also seen some of it just not happening. And I think I was chatting to, when I was writing my book, it was something that I was really wrestling with because I was thinking, well, sometimes it just doesn't work. Why is that? And there's not enough that we know about why that is. Um, it's a big gap in the research, I think. And I chatted to a brilliant researcher, um, Chris Loins, about it. Um, uh, and I said to him, yeah, I've seen, I've, I've, I've led all these youth development expeditions you know, when you've gone for a, a long time, you know, it, with teenagers for like six or eight weeks in the jungle or something, this is a massive life event. This should have a big impact. And I know that it does often, but it doesn't always. And what's happening, do you think? And he said, well, um, he said, well, if they come back transformed, but the rest of their world is the same and they're coming back to do the same thing and and all that you know all the people around them treat them the same way then then their change isn't given any space to be and so if their change isn't given any space to be then maybe it will just start to dis, it, it'll be there for a few months or whatever but it will just disintegrate and it really got me thinking as to like why how true that is and and it also got me thinking about the theory that I've, I've come up with around why big adventures and why small adventures are have a different impact at different times in our lives. And I think if we have a, a transitional point in our lives when we're like a rites of passage, if we're a child becoming um, an, an adult or whether we're going through a divorce or whether we're going through a changing career or a bereavement or something very that's changing our world around us this is a good time to go on a big adventure because when we come back as a we leave as a square peg and come back as a round peg our world is also different so there is actually a, a momentum a reason to change and rediscover and redefine ourselves but there's also the space for us to come back and be changed and so it's a it's a really good time, I think, for people to take big adventures because you need to step out of ordinary everyday life and redefine who you are and 
and your values because I mean when I became a when I became a mum all my values changed I mean not completely I'm not totally different person but actually what's important to me changed but also that it's it's massively it's a monumental change and so I need that's why we as a family went off on some adventures because we actually needed to step away from the the feeding wiping cleaning of parenting the you know the the childcare ping pong of like who's got who when and I need to work that day and who's doing the pickup on football or whatever to just being together and redefining ourselves as as individuals within a family and redefining our family and and I think that's important though at all these all of these junction points in life but that's why also the little adventures the accessible stuff the stuff that isn't going to you don't have to, and I'm not saying you have to go to abroad and have lots of money for any of these things but you do have to take time for the big transformational things I think um, well no it's all transformational but for the really big key change in life you do spend you need to spend some time um even if it's living in a tent at the end of your garden or something i don't know you have to step outside of your ordinary every day you need to leave your work for a bit you need to you need to find space to make big moves i think but you don't have to you don't have to go to another country and you don't have to spend lots and lots of money so small adventures are just like they're they they're just as transformational just as impactful and just as essential, but those are part of your lifestyle. Those are part of you and your routines, your lifestyle, your your waking every, your every day, your, or at least every week, you know. And I think both of those have big and the small adventures in those have the, have great importance. And I, I don't think you can have only one or the other. You might only need one big transformational. You don't even need to have a really, really big transformational adventure. Oh, I don't know. Do I think that? I don't know. I think rites of passages are actually maybe every every young person needs a rites of passage. You can get by just on the small adventures. I'm rambling. I don't no, know. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm like, do I book it? Do I not? No, <laughs> no I think because at first when you were saying about these big adventures in transitional times, I was thinking, hang on, that's just adding to stress. But now I really understand it. You're saying, well, your life is going to change anyway. So you might as well go off and explore and have some space for yourself and then come back and see what happens. I think, yeah, life is changing. If, if life is changing, career change, all of those sorts of big um, marriage, divorce, having kids, bereavements, um, just anything that you feel could not be, doesn't have to be under that label, something that's mm. monumental is changing in your world, then you will, you will change. You can't be the same. We evolve. Uh, it's a good thing. I think it's scary and stuff, but it's a good thing. We become better for these changes because we learn. We learn and grow and therefore that's not a bad it's never a bad thing but it's not comfortable and it's difficult and uh and I think stepping away from everyday life and finding space and time is the perfect way to at some point during that transition at some point during that process is to redefine who we are and, and who we are and what we want to do and who how we want to live and who we want to be be with and yeah how we want to spend our time on this planet and what's but, the you know you, you 
can't be the same person your whole life. <laughs> but we, I feel like we're all trying to cling on to that. <laughs> it's such a, I find it just so interesting. And I think you also talk about this in the book where it's it's still this kind of dance between being safe and comfortable, but also we need to have some uncertainty and growth and, and a little bit of short-term stress. And it seems for me that that's a constant balance and I'm, I'm not sure I always get it right. I think our modern society tells us to avoid stress, avoid difficulty, avoid anything that's uncomfortable. And we have words like triggers and stuff. Now, I'm not in any way denying the difficulties that people face with mental health challenges. And I'm not saying that that's all just, you know, ignore that advice. But I'm, I've, I have got some science behind some of these ideas. So I'm, I'm reading, a, I've read a really great book called Fragile recently, um, and it's about anxiety. And I'm, I'm definitely an anxious person. It's part of my makeup. It's part of who I am. Um, it is just who I, you know, that's how I was born. So I've always been an anxious person. I'm a worrier. This makes me really good at certain things like planning expeditions. I will I will see everything that could go wrong. And that's why I'm such a good person at planning big international expeditions, um, risk assessing them and everything else. I'm really, really good at that. So it, it's not all bad that these traits are part of our makeup because they have a role uh, as a hunter gatherer. <laughs> but we're living in a society where we're told to avoid that and that, that um to avoid risk and to avoid challenge and so on. Um, and actually it, what it means is that we we build our anxieties rather than build ourselves. I have lent into some, I get really anxious about some things that I can't do anything about, like climate change and so on, especially having a child. Um, so I have ways where my anxiety comes out and I, and I, I you know, I still have to work on things. but. This book, Fragile, gave me a really good lens to look at anxiety in the sense of this was written by an amazing professor of psychology. So, um, And I won't go into all the details now, so we'll talk about it forever. Um, we're supposed to be talking about resilience, aren't we? But it's very connected. Yes. So modern society is about avoiding difficulty and avoiding um, you know, uh, triggers. But at some point also, we have to find a way to build ourselves stronger so that we can not allow our tendency or my personal tendency of anxiety to stop me living because I could easily go on that route as well. And adventure has shown me in my own way, because we're all individuals, that leaning into difficulty and to things that make me scared allows me to deal with my anxiety because it actually empowers me to think, I can be anxious about something, but it's not going to stop me from doing something. I've got a mechanism. I'm building mechanisms. And also it means that I can then do things like public speaking because, oh, my goodness, public speaking to me 15 years ago or whatever, when I set up Explorers Connect, I, you would never have got me near a stage. Oh, wow. I didn't but, know that. I, oh, horrifying. Horrif just terrible. And I had to introduce all these speakers at Explorers Connect. So I was constantly in, but I, I had to do it because no one else was going to do it because this is my thing. And like, this is what I'm passionate about. I had to get up. <laughs> you organized it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. <laughs> but all I had to do was introduce them and wow. say a couple of sentences and then run away. But because I had to get up and do it, and I didn't pass it off, and I didn't, I lent in to what scared me. I got up and I, I said um 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 er a lot, and I was terrible for years. But I started to own it as well. I was like, well, I did it. And what was the worst thing that could have happened? I said um and er a lot. Well, at least I didn't like totally blank out, and I didn't totally say something awful about them or get their name wrong or something. Um, it wasn't so bad okay, I can do it again. And it's that building, it's that leaning in away, it's leaning into my anxiety and the fears rather than, yeah, it's about building life and building yourself rather than run, mm. like trying to, to, to lock yourself away from stuff. So yes, there are places where you have to understand triggers and, and things that will push you beyond what you're capable of coping with. And I'm, and I'm not saying I don't, and I'm not saying that I don't, sympathize and empathize with triggers and so on and 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 not pushing ourselves too far too quickly but we have to push ourselves to live and then I I started eventually doing public speaking and I actually my very first public speaking gig I ever did I actually fell off the stage I literally the worst thing that could have happened was falling off the stage surely that must be on the list of like what could go wrong in your yeah that's a classic anxiety dream isn't it (laughs) And I actually did it. Um, and it was awful because it was filmed. So it was even worse. <laughs> and I'd never done a public talk before. And it was for a adventure race there series. And so they'd filmed it and it was online for a bit. I don't know if it still works. But you know what? I fell off, but I kind of got back up again. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like a surfboard. And um, I was up and I sort of, I kind of melded it into the talk because I was talking about the Guinness World Record about uh, rowing around Britain. And I said, oh, you know, and... I can't remember how I melded it back in, but some people asked me, did you do that on purpose or something? I was like, no, I didn't do it. It wasn't part of the act. I fell off the stage. But, it, but you know, it wasn't, it, I wasn't the best speaker in the world. It wasn't super slick and I wasn't particularly funny or clever or whatever, but I did it and I survived it and it was okay. And it was quite a good talk and people enjoyed it and they got something out of it. So anyway, yeah. Um, I got off the point probably, but it's all no, this think, idea of yeah, it's really leaning helpful. in and choosing life. I think it's really helpful because I think I've had this tendency to look at other people doing things and they're and thinking that they're just not afraid and they and like I would never have known that you had that fear or uncomfortable uh, that it was uncomfortable public speaking for you because I think I'm quite quick to tell myself that everybody else is finding this very easy. <laughs> And then I don't feel very resilient. So it's really, it's really useful to to hear that that you you still feel still feel the anxiety or the fear, but it's about feeling that and doing it anyway. It it is, and it's about it's not you don't turn it off and go well that's there, but I'm just going to do it. But you you respect it as it's like a feeling. And you respect, you notice it and you respect it. And then you go, but what, what, how do I want to live? I want, I've got something I want to say, or I've got to introduce these speakers initially. And I want them to speak. And I think that they're cool. And it's so cool that they're here. And I've got to thank them. I mean, what am I going to do? I've got to, I mean, you know, am I not going to do the stuff I care about? Or am I going to do the stuff I care about? And so, but I think it's really important that it comes from you. 
because there's nothing worse than being forced into situations that you feel you should be doing or even that someone's like cajoling you into because that's where things can go wrong and you can if it's coming from you I think it always will work if you want to do something if you're called to something even if it's scary you'll always make it work because you'll find a way to do it and if you make a load of mistakes along the way brilliant because that's how you learn much quicker than um everything going really well than (laughs) you know you you learn much quicker as long as you can keep bouncing back well that's part of the resilience thing you know There's lots of theories around why resilience grows. Um, One of them is this bank of positive sort of emotions. Barbara Fredrickson's work, I mean, a couple of decades ago now in positive psychology. It's all about the idea that if you have lots and lots of positive emotions, um, you've experienced lots of joy and awe and and wonderful things, you build it like a bank. And when you're going through difficult times, resilient individuals can use those positive emotions they can draw on them when they're um to help them bounce back from the negative emotions that that always come to life um to always you know pop up eventually in everyone's life i mean that's just one of the many theories about it but that's why adventuring and is such what because you get so many positive emotions you know climbing a mountain kayaking learning to surf there's so much wonderful emotion that you can back there but um, I would. Oh, I mean, there's so many other ways of building resilience. There's the. Um, I think they're all very similar. Yeah. There's the grit. I, the whole grit um, idea as well. But there's something I've heard rec- much more recently was um, there's a pediatrician, um, Dr. Kenneth Ginsberg, and he's got the seven C's of resilience: competence. Confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping and control. And if you look at those, there's loads of those I could tick off in a venture. If you choose a challenge, you can you can build loads of those things. So there's all these, there's a lot of theories around how you how resilience can be built. And a lot and all of the ones I've heard of, and there's quite a few out there, and some are more in vogue than others. Um, that's how science works really people come up with theories some people like like some people they're very popular for a while and everyone thinks they're brilliant and then someone disputes them and kind of there's some research that undercuts them and another one pops up but all the ones I've looked at they all fit with adventuring another actually a favorite one of mine and one I talk about a lot um and you and probably everyone's heard of to some degree is this idea of the comfort zone and leaving your comfort zone in the stretch zone model um so that's Carl Ronk's work back in uh again decades ago now I think that was back in the 80s um Carl Ronk's stretch zone um model although it's based on works at the turn of the century believe it or not in 1903 or something Yerkes and Dodson about performance and stress and how we the idea that a little bit of stress is good for us, but not too much because our performance is best. And when I say performance, I mean, that's about performing in our lives, you know. So the, the great thing I love, I've gone off point a bit again, but the, the great thing I love about the comfort zone model is that when you step outside of your comfort zone and you're going on an adventure or you're starting a business or you're writing a book or you're asking someone on a date that you've always wanted to do and you've been too scared, 
you're stepping out of your comfort zone to do that. It's it's scary. You're you're choosing uncertainty. You're choosing adversity. You're choosing discomfort. But when you step outside of your comfort zone, um, you don't and experience this new experience. Um, you don't then step back into your comfort zone. Your comfort zone grows to you. And that is key, I think, because essentially you're expanding your experience, you're expanding your world and what you're comfortable with. And therefore you're kind of enriching your life, but you're also building your resilience because you're, if you're now comfortable with more than you were comfortable with the the moment before you stepped outside of your comfort zone, you are there essentially building your resilience as well. You know, like stepping up on stage to do, to introduce a speaker for the first time you unless it goes disastrously wrong it can go really really wrong and you are still going to be more comfortable it can go past that obviously you can completely go way beyond but I, as i say i think if you choose your steps i don't think that ever i've personally I've, it's never happened as long as i've chosen my steps at my time and when i've been with groups i try to identify again not pushing anyone too far, but pushing people because that's where the best growth is um, and the best resilience. Oh, that's really beautifully put. Thank you. I feel like I need to go back and listen to that over and over again <laughs> to remind me. But um, if we've got all this knowledge and, as you say, the adventures and the sort of work that you've done, particularly with young people, ticks all these boxes, why isn't it being prioritised or or is that changing? Has your revolution started? Because I mean, I'm, I take groups out and I'm an outdoor instructor, but it just feels like we've gone the other way <laughs> in the last few years, particularly since I've been here in terms of centres closing. And this just hasn't been a priority for schools. I'm thinking in particular, like why, why is that? And can we change it? I think we have to change it. I think I think we have to prioritise this sort of message and this sort of approach because I think we've gone so far as a society into risk-averse, cotton-wooling, not only of our young people, but of, of ourselves in so many ways. You know, there's a part in my, in my book where I talked about taking responsibility and I think those two things are very connected and I... And, and I to get it down in words, I, I, it was the first time I did it in my book because I, I always connected them. But I couldn't understand. It's really hard to put. I'm going to try and explain. <laughs> I think if, if we are telling people that they're not responsible for themselves because we're such a nanny state in so many ways and because we're all so risk averse and because we'll, you know, sue each other because there's a hot apple pie that we didn't know was hot. We ate it and then we burnt our tongues. And I mean, this ridiculous approach that we have um, around. I mean, that's a very extreme example. But I think if we're not teaching people to be responsible for themselves because we're taking so many of the decisions away from them then we can't also expect people to be to believe that they have agency over their lives and decisions so these by taking more decisions away from people by putting up danger signs and not allowing people to go near cliff edges in national parks by saying you know by not allowing people to make their own decisions about how they behave, then we are stripping them of the capability to trust themselves. 
Um, there's this really interesting research around kids. If you allow kids to take risks at the right time, in the right way, I'm not saying two-year-olds should be walking along cliff edges or anything. <laughs> carrying a pen knife. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But allowing our instincts to control our decisions and also the knowledge that if we allow young people and children to, and adults, in fact, to make, sorry, I was specifically talking about kids, this specific research that's come, there's a lot of research in this area. And it all shows that if we allow children to take risks, calculated risks, and to learn risk assessment for themselves, they, in the long run, they are much, much safer than the children that we, we just cotton wool and don't allow them to, to learn to risk assess. And that sounds back to front, but when you think about it and you think about, well, they're learning to risk assess, then it makes sense. If we don't allow people to take responsibility for themselves, then we are not allowing them um, to take responsibility for themselves in any part of their, their lives. And we do live in a world where there's so many rules and regulations and... Um, there's, there's so many barriers to us making our own choices about things that we we become like, well, I don't know, like children, I don't know, we become unable to make our own decisions and to be responsible. And this, I think this is a big part of why we have a climate, a, a whole, not only climate problem, but environmental problems. We, we all are very aware that something horrifying is happening right now, but yet there's very little being done. Why is that? Why are we not empowered enough to go? No, you know why? Why isn't every teenager like Greta? <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. I think all of these things are very um, connected. I've got off the topic again. I love uh, it. I love it. No, it's uh, fa absolutely <laughs> fascinating, and it's. I guess, like, how has that? You're a mum now, and I just wondered what's. Yeah, how has this informed your parenting in terms of, I mean, it's clear that you've taken your child off on trips um, already, but in terms of letting them do their own risk assessments, I feel like that must be quite hard. <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and I'm sure some people think that I'm probably a bit of a helicopter mum and other people probably think that I'm letting my son do way more stuff than is sensible because it's very hard from the outside and every child is different. I'm trying to trust my instincts and not be pushed by society or even the people that I'm around to make the decisions as to when I give this much guidance or you know, little guidance or a lot of guidance or just let him make the mistake because he needs to fall down, scuff his knee and work out that, yes, you do do your, it is worth doing your laces up or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's really hard. Um, I, uh, there's a friend of ours, um, a brilliant friend called Anton, who's Bulgarian, and he told me last year or so, just off the cuff, oh, we give, um, at, at, five year, at five years old, we give our, um, kids in Bulgaria. It's a rites of passage. It, well, not a rites of passage. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that that kids have at, five, at their fifth birthday are given a knife. That's when they're given their first knife. And I initially went, oh, blimey, what? 
and thought that that was a bit mental. Um, and then I also obviously I checked myself and went, oh, you know, think about this. You know, you know, logically that if he's given, as my son is given chance to learn how to use a knife early, he's going to be much, much safer with knives later on and much more respectful and know how to risk assess around them. At what point am I going to give my son a knife? You know, and and it this is the really difficult thing because my my heart is telling me just to protect my son and my head is telling me if I don't let him take some if I just cotton wool him and I don't let him take any risks that is a much greater risk a because he won't he'll be actually less safe in the future but also he won't have a he won't have an experience of things and, and actually it'll be a much less enriched life so um it's a real it's such a hard thing as a parent to know when to let them cross the road on their own for the first time, when to let them go on their bike for the first time, when to let them have their first knife for the first time. It's really hard. My son is now five and a half and he does have his own knife. But the way that we do it is that he's very good with his knife. I've shown him how to use it several times. I I've often lots of guidance at the start, but he I don't, I'm still not at the point where I allow him to have his knife in his room in his drawer, you know, with, I have the knife and he asks me for it rather than it's his knife and he has it. So that's, that's the place where we are at as parents here and now, but I'm not saying that that's the right way to do it for anyone else. It's, it's just really hard. Okay. Um, that's a good answer. I think, <laughs> yeah. There's no easy way. But I feel, do you feel like we're getting it wrong? Like, look, I'm just thinking of the, levels of mental health and kind of physical difficulties in our society at the moment but maybe the mental health of our teenagers and I know they've been through a lot with COVID but is there another angle of of think mistakes that are being made and how we can change that I'm I'm also interested in if you could just redesign the school system what you do would you get away with classrooms or would you just force them to have longer holidays so they can explore more or what what's the answer Oh, gosh, that's a lot of questions. Yes, we are totally, we totally, I mean, we're, we're failing our kids. I mean, there's no question. Um, I can say that because right now in Britain, one in six children have a diagnosed mental health problem. And that's diagnosed. So there's more also suffering um, as if one in six isn't enough. And at one, when it's at that level, you can't say what's wrong with these kids. You have to say what's wrong with society because yeah. it would be ridiculous to to look at it any other way. So, yes, we're failing our kids. There's no question. Oh, as far as who to blame, I think it's just a society wide thing where we have to just redefine lots of things. Yes, um, we can't blame parents. We can't blame teachers. It, it's like this. It's this creep that has 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 invaded everything. How do you undo that? I mean, as much as it's not the parents or the teachers or the one area's fault, you also have to start somewhere. So we have to enable our parents. We've now got parents who've not gone outdoors, a lot of parents who don't go outdoors and don't know how to take their kids outdoors. So we need to help support 
more parents to get outdoors with their kids because they don't have the outdoor skills and the confidence to get outdoors. So it's not so, you know, we need to build in more enablement there and support as far as schools, because you specifically asked about schools. Well, I think for a start, we should. I mean, <laughs> there's so much I can say about schools. I mean, kids need a lot of more unscheduled time. Mm-hmm. So doing away with homework, especially at primary school level. I mean, just I would if I ran primary schools, I, there would just be no homework they've already done enough structured stuff in the day let them free and play and they need to preferably be outside Um, I know that's harder for some families than others but they just need as much free uh, there's so much work and research around free play being important for the development of children that would alleviate a some that would be a start protecting the break times in schools break times in schools should be absolutely 100% protected but they're not often extracurricular stuff seeks seeps into them that's then not playtime that's not free time that's not detail that's not the time for them to process to be to playtime is really important there's a, and I I could reference you lots and lots of references um it's not just my opinion on this there is depth of scientific research into this um, I actually homeschool. We homeschool our son. We have chosen not to put him into the education system immediately because I think at four years old, he's now five, but at four years old, he's too young to go into the indoors environment. Um, and also because we were having too much fun and he's it's wonderful being a parent. I didn't, it, it's really tough, but it's it's a great honor to be able to be able to homeschool. Not everyone can homeschool. Um, you know, financially, for the first reason, you know, it, it's very hard. We have, we're by no means um, rich, but we have decided to get by for a few more years so that we have that time. And also because I think um, there's too much stress on schools. There's too much, um, and and ask most teachers, <laughs> or at least all the teachers I know agree, it's like you don't need to test kids so early Mm. it's very stressful there's too much our teachers are one of our most important valuable assets in our society and yet we underpay them overwork them overstress them and then we expect the kids in their classes to be fully nourished and they can't be because we're not treating their teachers well um you know we need to we uh, yeah they all the teachers I know are they work crazy hours, crazy hours. And how that can't be good for the kids. Um, I mean, there's so much to say. Um, but yeah, we just need to give more freedom and playtime to kids. Oh, I'm thinking adults as well, to be honest. When you were talking about all that unstructured play, I'm like, yeah, I, lo- I love a bit of that. <laughs> but yeah. Well, then, yes, absolutely adults as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, play is good for everyone. Yeah. I, I, a bunch of us, I took a bunch of us mums to go eight a couple of days ago. <laughs> and we had this brilliant time because mums usually go and watch kids doing go eight or, yeah. or, or go with them or something. But it was like, no, this is for the mums this time. <laughs> and we had a brilliant time. It was amazing team building, but also there was amazing resilience built. You know, there's a couple of my friends who just don't do that sort of thing. And they were like, 
terrified. There's some big drops. You've got to really dig deep at times. Um, and I remember a friend of mine who's an amazing teacher. She's an amazing, she's like the proper, these are the sort of teachers that we need in the school system. And she was terrified. And she said, I went back into school a couple of days later after the, after the go ape adventure day. <laughs> and she said, I felt the confidence I built and the buzz I got from that. I, I decided I had to take it back into school, had to take it into my work. And I talked about it with the teachers at our, you know, after the school holidays, they have a big inset day and they have a big meeting with all the teachers said, yeah, I did this thing a couple of days ago. I'd go ape and it gave me lots of confidence in myself. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that, bottle that. And I'm going to bring it into the classrooms and bring it into this meeting. And I'm going to, and that's why I want to talk about this. <coughs> I want to talk about these things that I've been really, you know, have, I've been unconfident uh, about speaking up about. And so, you know, that's where, I don't know, that's where you can, I don't know, there's so much to say about that. She took an adventure, she took she took the gift from the adventure, she took it into her everyday life, and um, and yeah. And, and that was an adventure of like a few hours as well, wasn't it? We're not talking that she went down the Amazon or anything like that, like that was just a few hours that we can all fit in at somewhere. It was a few hours. But it was truly testing. Mm. It was a real uncertainty and a challenge and an adversity because jumping off a high platform to some of people, someone like me, because I've done it a lot now, I get, I just love the fun. And I know that they're very, I mean, I know that it's going to be safe and, and, and well checked. I, I have confidence in the, in the, in the safety element, um, you know, I've used harnesses and ropes before and let's face it, they're not going to be open if it <laughs> thousands of people go through that course. <laughs> it's going to be safe. So I could just get over the fear side or or, or or embrace the fear side and jump off and have lots of fun. Um but for people who don't and who haven't done that a lot, such as my friend and a few few of my friends, it was a real gut wrencher, you know, it was a real like there was moments where I thought, please jump, please go, because I was thinking if they don't go, then they're, they're going to feel really bad about it. But if they do go, they're going to feel so good about themselves. And so they got more out of it than I did. I had a fun day, but they had an empowering day, you know. And as you say, it's only a few hours um, up in the trees and anyone, you know, almost anyone can, uh, almost anyone can do it, um, bar, bar the, you know, specific um, injuries or, or something that may may stop. You yeah, maybe like post knee replacements. Um, I shouldn't be doing that, but <laughs> um, yeah, maybe not the zip wire. Part, <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I sat it out. Actually, it was on offer, but I think I was literally just like a month post <laughs> post knee replacement. Yeah. I mean, actually, just that sort of brings me on to a bit of. I did wonder when I started reading the book and. And some really inspiring adventures, but also that didn't feel necessarily that accessible. I was thinking of my privilege, I mean, as a white cis female, but also I had the parents that let me roam in the hills with the pen knives and things like that. And yes, I just wondered, do we need to consider accessibility and our privilege? And what can we do to support everybody to be able to access adventures? Yeah, and it's funny. I've had the same 
evolution in my thoughts as well. Because I, when I started Explorers Connect, my life, my career at that point had been about leading big international expeditions and seeing them change people's lives. All sorts of different people from different age groups and backgrounds and experience levels, but still these big transformational six, eight week expeditions. And I thought expeditions change lives. And then I, the longer I ran Explorers Connect, people asked for smaller and smaller adventures because it's like, well, these are great, but what are we doing in between? You know, let's, there's this wonderful community of people we've met. Let's do small stuff. And so I started doing small and, and I thought, well, no, that's not my back. I don't, I don't do kayaking trips in Devon. I mean, that's not, I do junk. I walk across jungles and stuff. You know, what's that going to do? Might be a bit of a laugh. But I actually started doing them and, and realised they're not just a laugh, but also started to witness that actually they're also very, very transformational. So I, I went on that same journey from thinking you had to do big stuff overseas and whatever to make an impact. And now it's the final step of that evolution for me, because as I say, we all evolve and that's good, is actually... That's more important. It's more important people do these small steps at the start because once they're enabled and empowered by adventuring on a local, accessible, affordable level and also sustainable environmentally level, then they can do the rest themselves. Like if we can help people get on those first rungs of the ladder, they will keep running up that ladder because it's fun as well. It's joyful. It's exciting. And it's, it's life affirming, but we have to help. That's why I'm so keen on rebranding adventure because we have to help people get on those first steps. That's where we change society. That's where we change lives. That's where we have the biggest impact. So my real focus now is all about the smaller adventure. Um, the, the, my conference adventure mind that I run um, around the science of adventure for well-being and, and mental health. The theme this year is um, small adventure, big impact, because I think this is exactly it. And that is about making um, and rebranding adventure is something that is done by everyone, not just by white men on with beards. <laughs> not that they're not allowed adventure as well. They're allowed to do it as well. But they have had a lot, haven't they? <laughs> Well, not all of them, um, not all of them, but um, I just don't want it to, I don't want that image to put people off. We have to rebrand adventure as somebody from any, any area of Britain, from any um, religious group, from any, um, who identifies however they might identify in, in any different way, to be able to feel that, they're, you know, with any physical capability or ability skill level amount of money in their bank whoever you are you can find adventuring and you can um you can make it part of your life and that's that's very much focus of what I'm doing at the moment because that is where real change happens I think yeah and that can be one of the ways I suppose we talked at the start about some of the comparisons and and show how things were represented in social media but I guess 
this can be a positive in that we see people that look like us or come from places like us and we can then be inspired by it and I found it really interesting that you said that there was some benefit in just watching other people do these challenges I was like all oh, right I can sit on the sofa and watch I mean when I had my came out of hospital after my knee replacement I, I went through the Netflix adventure films and I did feel good about it I wasn't I wasn't envious I just felt great so it was it was interesting that there was some science behind that as well in that we can be inspired but also yes I guess that represent representation is important for for inspiring people yeah I I think if we can see that the least enabled members of our society taking on adventures to help their growth and life and empowerment and so on I think that's where we we can have that would be a great that that's something I'm looking at at the moment and trying to work out I helped um there was a refugee um group someone came to me um three or four years ago and asked me for help to set with they they were setting up a, a hike for with some refugees and they wanted it to be yeah for that reason of empowerment and 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 camaraderie and team building and so on and all the reasons why adventuring is so good and um and I realized that if the power of that sort of story um the power of this was women as well women who'd been trafficked there's something very powerful in that if some of the people who are who are the least powerful in our communities are able to do something that is seen as so elite and what I, I don't know and challenging and difficult and if they can do that it's a very inspiring message to send to any of us because it's like it's like in my book there's Lorraine um and and my favorite what I often say is what I heard from her colleagues was well if Lorraine from accounts if glamorous Lorraine from accounts can walk up a a, a a volcano in Nicaragua and what can I do because I I think we're much more inspired by the people who are closest to us and mm. um, by the people in our office in our village in our school in our whatever if they can go and do 10 tours or whatever then surely we can as well um it, that it's much more inspiring than seeing celebrities on telly or men with beards on tops of Everest um, <laughs> as much as that's brilliant as well yeah and that level of inspiration is good I think we're more inspired by the people next door to us well we know they're all very don't we and that's just that they haven't had perhaps the privilege that I think other people have had and like you know them and you think well yes if they can do it then maybe and I'll let you into a secret all those celebrities I've worked with and all those um as you would say privileged men with beards on top of mountain on top of Everest and poles and stuff they're also ordinary they're just ordinary people as well like the only difference between people who do adventures and don't do adventures is that they went out and did an adventure um it is easier for some people to do these really big exciting you know very very expensive things but um yeah we can all do it we can all do it we can all choose we just have to have the belief that it's worth it's worth it for our physical and mental well-being, for our kids' well-being, for just for the fun of it. That we're we're you know we're 
we're we're important enough to put it into our lives um, we're worth it so yeah we just have to make time for it well your book definitely inspires me to to make it a priority rather than just see it as some frivolous luxury that I can do when I've got time so thank you for that and all the work that you do as well in I I love the phrase that you wanted to grow old adventurously so I'm um I'm gonna say that I hope you do I hope you do live that adventurous life um so thank you so much Belinda for yeah for the work that you've already put out but for today explaining that and it I found it really inspiring and and wanting me to go out there and that it is so valuable for us as humans well thank you for having me on thanks for reading the book and uh yeah and thanks for having this podcast Uh, I think it's it's always good to, to share sharing ideas and experiences is is yeah I mean that's how we change the world isn't it so you're you're changing you're enabling and changing people's worlds with this podcast. So thanks for doing that. Oh, well, thank you. I feel a little bit braver after speaking to you that I can get out. <laughs> so thank you so much. Goodbye. Hey. <laughs> thanks, Jen. Good luck with your next adventures. Bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe leaving a review or sharing us with others thank you so much and see you next time on the resilience rising podcast